Scenes of joy as America reopens to the world. The latest on the tragedy at the Travis Scott concert and how a viral hand gesture from TikTok helped save a kidnapping victim. Tuesday Need to Know. Let's go. Good morning. This is Cheddar's Need to Know podcast for Tuesday, November 9th. I'm Jill Wagner with Carlo Versano. Good morning. Morning, Wags. It's nice to see you in the daylight here. That's one nice thing about the daylight savings time, I guess, is it gets lighter earlier, which is good for us being the morning people and all. I agree. And, and you know, my husband and I debate this because he gets seasonal depression for real. And he was he mm. does not like winter. And when the sun goes down at 5 p.m., but I was saying, you know what? I like it. For for us, I, <laughs> I feel like going to bed at eight isn't crazy when it's been dark for yeah. a couple hours. Um, and then getting up and seeing the sun come up is nice. There is something, though, about seeing that sun go down at four o'clock here in New York. And you're just like, oh, God, the winter is coming. But no, you're right. It about feels the, uh, so late, right? Yeah, yeah. No, the, everything's all messed up. You know how I feel about daylight savings time. Part of my presidential platform First thing I would do would be abolish it. Uh, Joe, before we start, let me just uh, do, I have one personal plug, if that's okay. Uh, I am moderating Please. a panel tonight. Yeah, so I'm moderating a panel tonight. I haven't, I've never moderated a panel before, so if you haven't, I know you have, so if you have any uh, tips for me, I'm all ears, but I'm doing this panel for the Center for Communication, which is this really great uh, media non uh, startup in New York City that sort of helps um, people get situated in the media business, uh, college students and graduate students and whatnot. It's about um, newsletter writing and uh, the new face of news in your inbox, I believe is what the title of the panel is called. But anyway, it's a virtual event, which means it's open to everybody and it's free. So if for some reason tonight, instead of spending time with your family or uh, <laughs> making dinner, you would prefer to watch me on Zoom, you can do that uh, by going to centerforcommunication.org and signing up for the RSVP, 6 p.m. Eastern tonight. Carlo, very cool. As a matter of fact, if uh, as long as I'm free and somebody like my husband or my daughter hopefully will be sleeping, I will be watching. Um, and my one I, piece of advice that I have, which please. I don't know if you seriously wanted advice. No, I do. I seriously do. I have no I idea what I'm the, doing. I think the key to a good interview or to, to any good moderation is to actually really listen to what yeah. the person is saying. And it's hard because you're going to be so you're going to try to focus on your next question and who you go to right. next and the flow of the event. But if you can also try to listen to what the person is saying and ask a follow up, you know, just yeah. whatever a logical thing might be, I think that that usually helps. No, that's good advice. I just wish it was in person. I feel like when you're doing these things over the internet, it just makes it hard. It's make it more complicated because there's all this like technology aspect of it that you have to like stay on top of as well, right? Oh well. Well, case in point, we have these awkward uh, pauses and yeah, stuff because exactly, we're not in the same right. spot. Yeah, um, exactly. Okay, so let's start with some news here, and we actually are going to start with some good news. There were joyous scenes at international airports across the country yesterday as people were reunited with loved ones that they hadn't seen since borders around the world started to close in March of 2020. The U.S. now back open to visitors from 33 countries, including much of Europe, China, and India. Emotional reunions caught on camera at JFK, Boston Logan, Newark, O'Hare, and other major points of entry. Um, you, I was tearing up watching just oh, family God. members who hadn't seen each other, grandparents who had never met grandkids. Yeah. Incredible. 
I mean, I made this our lead today, both the newsletter and the podcast, even though it's not really that usually we start with more like hard news. Um, but, you know, if you just if you look at one thing today, look at the slideshow of these photos that I put in the newsletter of these um, photos from these airports yesterday, all of these families and boyfriends and girlfriends seeing each other for the first time in two years. Like you said, these grandparents meeting their grandkids for the first time, carrying signs and balloons. I mean, it'll it'll make you tear up. It's like amazing. Um and it's just, you know, it's just a good thing. It's a good, it's a nice reminder of what really matters, right? It, it's sort of, and to get real cheesy for a hot second here, you know, that opening scene in Love Actually, I know you do because I know you're a Love Actually fan. Of course uh, I do. <laughs> so the, 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 yeah, the, the voiceover is talking about how, what is it? Who's the voiceover in that movie? Is it Hugh Grant? I forget. Hugh but Grant, anyway, the voiceover, yeah, he's. Yeah, I think you're right. He's talking about how whenever he gets gloomy about the state of the world, he thinks of the arrivals gate at Heathrow and all the people hugging and embracing and seeing each other for the first time. And that's what yesterday was. And it was really a remarkable moment. And um, I'm just I just want to get on record with it. Um, another potential tool in the covid toolbox, Regeneron's monoclonal antibody treatment reduces the risk of COVID infection for up to eight months, according to the company. And that means it could theoretically be used as a form of pre-exposure prophylaxis, that type of treatment for immunocompromised patients, before they've had a potential COVID exposure. Regeneron's asking the FDA to expand the use of the therapy as a preventative treatment. That would be yeah, that's so pretty fascinating. It is. And, you know, there's PrEP uh, for HIV, um, which is already out there. This is potentially PrEP for COVID. And like you said, another tool in the toolbox, right? Public health experts, of course, we have to remind everybody, they stress that monoclonal antibodies not an alternative to vaccines. Uh, that's very important, right? First of all, they're expensive. Second of all, there's just not that, uh, there's not enough of the, that treatment to go around. But the use of this therapy as PrEP um, should, of course, be saved for people who can't mount a proper immune response to the vaccines, which there are those people. I actually, there's somebody in my extended family who is a uh, lupus uh, patient and she can't be vaccinated. So this is something like for, that could potentially be very helpful to her. Uh, but again, problem with monoclonal antibodies is the supply issue. But still, our COVID toolbox to your, what you said a minute ago, it's starting to get really impressive. I think that's kind of the bottom line here um, between the vaccines and these pills that are coming and this treatment. Uh, you know, the the one thing I say is there's a, there, there's some pockets of worry starting to come out of Europe, um, not just in Eastern Europe, like Romania, which is a complete disaster, um, but even in highly vaccinated countries like Germany, Austria, and Belgium. Uh, we actually got a, a listener uh, who wrote in from Belgium yesterday alerting us to the spike there, and I was like, we have listeners in Belgium? Who, who knew, right? Um, You're like, my takeaway is that you're in Belgium, that not, yes, not what's exactly. going on with COVID. Uh, exactly. Uh, well, that just made me think of waffles. Man, I would love some waffles. Uh, anyway, the uh, what was I talking about? Sorry, Jill. I'm having one of those um, mornings already. The spike in cases oh, yeah. so in, in places that are very highly vaccinated. Yes, exactly. So they're seeing these spikes uh, in some of these countries. It's notable for us because, as we all know, we often get what Europe gets on a, you know, couple month delay. Um, so I do think it's possible, of course, that we're going to see another winter surge kind of focused on states with relatively low vaccination rates. But again, hopefully some of these new tools in the toolbox are going to keep hospitalizations down. They're going to keep deaths down. Remember, zero COVID, zero COVID is not a winning strategy. And for a country like ours, really for any country, but especially a country like ours. So I think we just need to be primed to expect some of these kind of waxing and waning surges and not necessarily overreact to them. 
Travis Scott will not be performing at a Las Vegas music festival this weekend and has promised to cover the funeral expenses for victims of the Astroworld tragedy, as well as provide free therapy for survivors. The rapper is said to be distraught over the deaths of eight young fans at last weekend's Astroworld show in Houston. Investigators probing the deaths reportedly looking into whether a bad batch of fentanyl-laced pills played a role in the incident, given that numerous concert goers had to be revived with Narcan on scene. Um, they're looking into it, but it is kind of separate from the, the bigger issue of, of just the, the mob getting totally out of control. So the question, I guess, is whether that was a factor. Um, but in terms yeah. of, you know, Travis Scott and any culpability he might have, I don't know what the, the fentanyl lace pills. I don't know if that's going to play a huge role, um, but just yeah. a, a bizarre kind of twist in this. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit confusing, right, because there have been these reports of people getting feeling pinpricks like in their neck um, and then potentially having been injected with drugs, which would be separate from a, a bad batch of pills potentially, which of course, as you said, would be separate from the what appears to be the main issue, which was this crowd crush situation um, right in front of the main stage that night. First of all, if you were at this show or God forbid, if you had a family member who died at this show, do not sign anything from Travis Scott promising to cover the funeral or give you free therapy. That Those things are going to be accompanied by a pledge from you not to sue. I'm not, I don't know that for a fact, but I'm almost certain. That's always how these things work. So be very wary of whenever, I, I'm sure he, his heart's in the right place, but just be wary of any time somebody who is potentially culpable in a major situation like this, trying to get in front of it with, um, you know, pledges for, uh, to cover the funeral costs. I do want to mention one thing. Uh, we got a, uh, an email yesterday from one of our listeners, Ashley, who was actually at the festival. And I thought that she gave some really good sort of color into what happened that night. So I'm just going to read a little bit from this um, from Ashley. She writes, in regard to the festival this year, the vibe was different, absolutely crazy from the minute we parked our car and arrived around 7 p.m. Parking lots were full, so we were forced to park nearby and walk. Young people already jumping fences, trying to sneak into the festival grounds. They did not have tickets, were bragging about how they were going to sneak in to see Travis. Authorities were on guard, and there were so many more than prior events. We noticed even the fences and barricades seemed more sturdy and intense, but I believe the crowds were just too much for them. She continues, we went at 8 to stand ground and stake out our spots for Travis's set that was scheduled to start at 845. Every time I look behind us, more and more people were around, seas of people all around us. There was just no way to get out quickly if we needed to. We were stuck there. Luckily, everyone around us was responsible. None of us fell from what I saw, but I did learn my lesson from previous show experience and wore boots, brought water, etc. I had a wonderful time at the show and didn't see my first dead body until the show ended. He was getting rushed out on a golf cart and they were trying to resuscitate him it was traumatic. That was from Ashley. Wow. I, um, yeah. Wow. We're learning about some of the victims as well. Uh, the youngest was yeah. just 14 years old. Uh, another victim, he was killed while trying to save his fiance who survived. I heard an interview with his brother who was just devastated and said, you go to a concert, you know, to have fun. You don't go to, right. to lose your life. I mean, and, and I know sure. we made that point yesterday, but it's like, it's just, bears repeating. I wanted to quickly mention Travis Scott has a long history of inciting chaos at his concerts. Uh, according mm -hmm. to Newsweek in 2017, he was arrested and accused of inviting fans to bypass security and rush the stage at a show in Arkansas. He faced three misdemeanor charges, including inciting a riot, disorderly conduct and endangering the welfare of a minor. In 2015, 
Um, he pleaded guilty to reckless conduct charges at Lollapalooza at festivals in Chicago. So apparently his set only lasted five minutes. It was cut short and the police intervened. And then footage from the show shows Scott saying, quote, middle finger up to security right now before leading the crowd in a chant of we want rage. Um, so just clearly there is a, a pattern here. Um, yeah. And for people who say, look, it's a concert, what do you expect? And as we're just learning with the, the perhaps some of people were given bad drugs or and that contributed to it. There is video going viral right now. I don't know if you've seen it of Lincoln Park, which is another group mm -hmm. um, at one of their shows was getting really chaotic. You saw people pushing and falling in the mosh pit. They stopped the show. They got everyone calm. Yeah. And they actually led this chant of, if someone falls, what do you do? And then the crowd chanted back, pick them up. Pick them up. Yeah. And it just shows that you it doesn't need to get that way. And, and even if it's starting to get crazy, that perhaps the, the person on stage does bear responsibility to get things under control and get things to calm down a bit. Um, well, I, I recommend looking up that video. Yeah, no, I, I haven't. I hadn't seen that. I'm glad you mentioned. I, I, they absolutely bear responsibility. I mean, when you're at a concert, when you're at a music festival, the only person that can control the crowd is the person with the microphone on stage. That's just how it is. So they all, they, they, these performers all have that responsibility. But I also think that this speaks to something that we've been talking about for a while now, which is, you know, everybody out there right now is just on a razor's edge, right? There is so much. Everybody is so anxious, raring to go after the pandemic. There are all these just like there's all of this sort of like antisocial behavior happening out there. You know, we talked about it in terms of people driving like lunatics. And I think that, you know, whereas something like this wouldn't have been a big deal maybe a couple years ago, people wouldn't have, um, you know, responded to, to a performer, you know, inciting a crowd like that. I just think that there's something in the air right now and you see it all around you um, that people have to be particularly careful at this moment in time, especially when they're in, you know, big, big crowds like this. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm really articulating that very well. You know, I, I agree with you. And it's it we've we've talked about it with airlines. We've we've talked yeah, about exactly. just we've it's something we've talked about for a while. Um and I, I don't think it's a coincidence that this happened in one exactly, of the first right. major music festivals and concerts post COVID or if we've I don't even know, are we calling this post COVID? I guess uh, yeah, I don't post, I don't know. Post worst post, part of COVID? Like, I don't know. Sur yeah. <laughs> but yeah, post COVID surge? I don't even know. Um, but anyway, uh, it'll be interesting to see what winds up happening in terms of the lawsuits. There's obviously going to be civil lawsuits, um, and we'll see if there's criminal charges filed. Yeah. Uh, switching gears, electric vehicle stocks, with one notable exception, took off on the first day of trading following the passage of the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Companies that build EV charging stations like Evgo, Blink, and ChargePoint each saw their stocks pop by more than 10%. The infrastructure bill includes about $5 billion just for expanding EV charging infrastructure plus another $2.5 billion for other charging alternatives. That exception you mentioned would, of course, be Tesla, uh, which is was not the beneficiary of this surge in interest in the EV stocks. Shares of the company taking a dive after Elon Musk, we mentioned this yesterday, said that he would abide by the results of that Twitter poll in which the majority of respondents urged him to sell 10 percent of his Tesla stake. Um, and just one thing, you know, it's worth remembering about Elon Musk. He's the richest person on Earth, largely because of just how well Tesla stock has been doing. But he is notoriously cash poor, right? He doesn't 
have a lot of liquidity, if I guess you would say. Uh, and he's facing a $15 billion tax bill in the coming months. One way, of course, to pay that would be to sell a uh, major chunk of the stock that has made him so wealthy. So you're saying this wasn't totally altruistic on his part? No, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but this is huge. Back to the charging stations. The, the one thing that most consumers will tell you is the reason that they're not keen on necessarily going electric is this kind of fear that you're going to run out of power yeah. and not have anywhere to charge your car. Uh, so it's yeah. huge. And the other thing is that that these automakers are going to have to figure out how to how to do it quicker because it does right. take about 40 minutes to charge your car versus, you know, five minutes if you just need some gas. Now, the truth is most people are not going on road trips and most people are, are just traveling with the, within a short distance yeah. of their home, either to get to work or wherever. So they'll have plenty of charge just by, you know, charging their car at night. So there's not a huge need necessarily for these charging stations all over because, again, most people don't travel that far and do these road trips. However, I think psychologically there, that fear is there. This idea of like, Oh my God, am I going to get stuck on the road and not have anywhere to charge up my car? Yeah. Even though these cars now, I mean, the Teslas are going 350, 400 miles on a single charge. That's like driving to Richmond, Virginia, um, which I used to do all the time. uh, And I couldn't do that on a single tank of gas. Uh, Walmart, meanwhile, has started to use fully autonomous box trucks to do deliveries, a milestone in self-driving truck technology. The driverless box trucks are in partnership with the startup Gaddick, the, um, and they deliver groceries on a fixed seven-mile loop near Walmart's headquarters in Arkansas. While autonomous car technology has hit a bit of a rough patch lately, self-driving trucks have been picking up steam, partially as a way to alleviate the truck driver shortage that's been impacting the supply chain. Yeah, money Gosh, has been imagine pouring seeing in. A self-driving truck, <laughs> like a self-driving eighteen-wheeler coming down the street. Um, these uh, are, yeah, I think. Honestly, the way people are driving now, I would actually probably prefer it. I mean, I get this is like my biggest pet peeve at the moment. People are driving like lunatics. Everybody needs to slow the f down, please. Um, But anyway, back to what we were talking about here. Uh, Money been pouring into some of these self-driving truck technology startups recently, because I think investors seem to be realizing that autonomous trucks are likely now to get here before autonomous cars. I mean, if you remember, Jill, a few years ago, we were talking like we would be all taking like self-driving cabs to the bar by now, right? And that obviously... It's it's become I think it's just it's turned out that it's really hard to build a fully autonomous car that doesn't, you know, regularly like drive off the road and kill people. Uh, I think it's still probably coming, but it's going to take a lot longer. It's a little bit less hard to build an autonomous truck that doesn't need a driver and more or less goes in like a straight line right on the highway. Uh, So I think that's what you're seeing now. But the big thing here, of course, is what you said, which is this. Could this help alleviate some of these truck driver shortages, especially ahead of the holidays? A teenage girl who went missing last week has been reunited with her family thanks to a hand gesture that had gone viral on TikTok as a sign of distress. Um, The 16-year-old North Carolina girl was found safe in a car in Kentucky two days after her parents reported her missing. Police say that a passing driver alerted authorities after he saw the girl through the back window making a sign with her hand that is widely understood on social media to signify violence at home. This is an, an incredible story. 
Truly. Yeah. This, uh, so that hand gesture, I mean, it's a podcast, so it's hard for you to see what I'm doing uh, unless you're watching. But it basically you tuck your thumb into your open palm and then you close the four fingers over the thumb. That's the hand gesture. It was created last year at the surge of uh, domestic, you know, with the surge that we saw in domestic violence that were that was attributed to all of the covid lockdowns. Uh, a woman's group uh, created that gesture so people could communicate if they were in danger um, at home without alerting people around them. This appears to be the first time that it's led to a real world rescue, which is really something. Uh, and also, you know, it's just nice to see a positive use case for social media every once in a while, right? But that was one of my first things that I thought about. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, let's do a little more to know before you go. The House Committee investigating the Capitol riot has issued six new subpoenas to former Trump associates, including Michael Flynn, the former National Security Advisor. The subpoenas show the committee is expanding its probe beyond what happened at the Capitol on January 6th into a wider investigation into the attempt to overturn the election. Overseas, this is something to keep an eye on here in Europe. Uh, Poland is mobilizing troops to close parts of its border with Belarus. After a surge in migrants attempted to cut through barbed wire fencing at that border crossing, thousands of migrants, mainly from the Middle East and Asia, have been congregating at that border, clashing with Polish uh, security forces. This escalation is notable uh, because it's happening on the eastern border of both the EU and NATO. So this could really turn into something uh, bad here. Poland, the EU, and NATO are blaming uh, Belarus's strongman leader, who is kind of like a Putin ally slash puppet uh, for essentially orchestrating this migrant surge in retaliation for sanctions. Uh, Belarus has denied those allegations and warning against provocations. Alec Baldwin is calling for police to be hired on any film or TV set that's using real or fake guns following his accidental shooting of cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the set of Rust. The burden of firearm safety typically falls on the armorer or a prop master. In that Rust investigation, the armorer and her legal team have been floating the theory that the gun that killed Hutchins was sabotaged with a live round placed among the dummy rounds. There is no evidence at this point of that being true. Yeah, her lawyers actually went on the Today Show, I think, last week and kind of floated the idea that some of some of the um, somebody else on the production staff, maybe there was some sort of somebody who was upset with like the labor conditions may have done this. But again, there's no evidence to, to to make that appear to be true, but something obviously to keep an eye on. Uh, meantime, a protester and volunteer medic who was shot by Kyle Rittenhouse during the unrest in Kenosha last summer testified uh, that he approached Rittenhouse with his own gun drawn during that mayhem because he thought Rittenhouse was an active shooter, having just shot and killed two other men. Uh, the defense has painted this guy, the medic, as part of this attacking mob that caused Rittenhouse to open fire in self-defense. His testimony, though, far more nuanced and, if anything, just shows you the confusion around what was happening that night and that everybody is, <laughs> seems to be armed. That's what it's, it's funny you said that. Cause that was my, I, I not to just kill, agree with everything you're saying on this podcast. <laughs> that was sort of my takeaway also was like everyone who was Mind just at that Jill. protest Mind carrying Mel. a gun. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. I mean, scary. this country is armed to a teeth. This it's teeth, man. Stuff like this is going to happen and it's terrible when it does. But I mean, I don't know um, what people expect. You know, it's it's terrible. All right. A SpaceX capsule safely splashed down in the Gulf of Mexico last night, bringing four astronauts home after 199 days in space. They made it back in one piece, despite the onboard toilet being broken for that eight hour ride. And Carla, what you told me yesterday is that they had to wear diapers on the trip home. <laughs> they did have to wear space diapers. Can you imagine that? 
uh, that, that would really – I don't know. I guess if you're an astronaut, you're probably used to stuff like that, right? Um, and finally in sports, uh, Steph, Steph Curry last night put up 50 points and 10 assists in the Warrior, Warriors' win against the Hawks. In doing so, he passed Will Chamberlain as the oldest player to do a 50-10 in a night. Curry is 33 years old, uh, practically a uh, elderly person in the NBA, and he's still absolutely red hot. It's really incredible. Warriors, by the way, are uh, the best team in the NBA right now, 9-1. and one. All right, that is what you need to know for Tuesday, November 9th. Have a good one, guys.